Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, hello, hello. I am Tracy Otsuka. Welcome to episode one of ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. Today, what we're going to talk about is what ADHD can look like in real women. Now, I think it's really helpful to have a baseline to know what the symptoms look like, and then you can decide whether or not you want to take it further and consult with a medical professional. So what I'm going to start out with today is I'm going to give you the more technical descriptions of symptoms first. But then I also want to give you symptoms and how they show up in the real world, how they've showed up for me. Now, again, I am not an expert. My knowledge comes from reading everything I can possibly get my hands on and talking to as many people who have ADHD as I can. The experts whose opinions I really value are doctors uh, Thomas Hallwell, John Rady, Russell Barkley, And um, I really like Terry Matlin if you have more of the inattentive form or type of ADHD. In any case, you need to consult your own professionals. Okay, so let's start with three subtypes of ADHD, and they are subtype one, hyperactive and impulsive, subtype two, inattentive, subtype three, which is a combined subtype of hyperactive impulsive and inattentive. So what is ADHD? ADHD is a neurobiological disorder, and it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, but I think it's been misnamed. Rather than a deficit of attention, I think what we have is a surplus of attention. We see everything And because of that, we don't always know what to focus on. You know, in our um, Facebook group of the same name, we've all sort of adopted this, I don't know, code that we don't use the term disorder. Instead, we decided that we're going to use the term condition. And, you know, I might drop a disorder here and there, but I will then try to connect, uh, correct myself by, by calling it a condition. That's just what we choose to believe. Now, in ADHD, the brain is inefficient when you're trying to plan, when you're trying to strategize, when you're trying to organize, initiate, and set goals. These cognitive abilities are actually called executive functions. 
Now, I love the ADD Coach Academy's definition of ADHD, and it is this. They define ADHD as a unique brain wiring, which requires engaged interest with a clear purposeful intention in order to activate and access attention so an individual can manage the brain's executive functioning. In short, our brains, the ADHD brain, is wired for interest. It is not wired for importance. Now, ADHD affects three main areas, impulsivity, hyperactivity, both of the body and of the mind, depends on what kind of ADHD you have, what type, and distractibility, which of course is, you know, you have trouble paying attention. So the most important thing that you need to know is that ADHD is not a behavioral disorder. You cannot blame bad parenting, bad teaching, laziness, TV, video games, a lack of discipline, or a bad diet. This is an executive functioning challenge based in biology. Russell Barkley calls it a productivity disorder slash condition. So let's talk about the statistics. About 9% of kids in the United States qualify for the ADD-ADHD diagnosis. About 5% of kids qualify for the diagnosis in the rest of the world. And if you think about it, I mean, the founders of our country and anyone who would get on a boat and risk everything, well, doesn't that sound ADHD? I mean, we are high stimulation people. And so I think that ADHD was in the founders of our country's DNA. And it is in our country's DNA today. And then when you think about other people who come to our country, I mean, again, you know, they're fleeing their countries. Often they're leaving their families to come over here for a better life. I would say those are probably high stimulation people who, you know, they don't mind risk. ADHD is sometimes misdiagnosed, but it is still seriously undiagnosed. I think underdiagnosed. I think that there's a lot of misinformation. And I liken ADHD to global warming. You know, you have 99% of scientists who say, look, yes, there is such a thing as global warming. And then you get that one scientist who publishes a paper who says, no, there is no such thing as global warming. And what happens to the media? The media globs onto that particular paper. And that's all that you see. And that's all that you hear about. And it's the same thing with ADHD. The I mean, ADHD, the existence of it and the impact of it has been validated for years from the National Institute of Health to the U.S. Surgeons General, U.S. Surgeon General to the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatry Association. We have brain imaging studies, genetic studies. We have twin studies. I mean, it goes on and on. There is definitely such a thing as ADHD. Now, as far as adults go, 5% of adults have ADHD, and 90% of the women who have ADHD have not been diagnosed. What makes ADHD so hard to diagnose is that everyone's brain wiring is unique. 
but it's unique, especially in those of us with ADHD. You know, we all have our own unique combination of traits, meaning it looks different in everyone. As I mentioned before, the ADHD brain is wired for interest, not um, for um, importance. It's not that they won't pay attention to what they're not interested in. It's that they can't pay attention no matter how important it is that they do so. You know, I saw this uh, clever little illustration and it was um, an image of a light switch. And you know how the light switch switches up when you're turning the light on and it switches down when you're turning the light off. And what it said is it likened it to the ADHD brain where there were two speeds and the up um, switch said utterly obsessed and the down switch said uninterested. And that's pretty much the ADHD brain. We have two speeds. We're either utterly obsessed or we're uninterested. There's really nothing in between. Bottom line, those of us with an ADHD brain are genetically programmed to be endlessly inquisitive. And so we all have a few areas in our life where we just demonstrate none of the executive functioning impairments that we show in all other areas of life that we're not interested in. You know, let me give you an example for myself. I could not be bothered to plan and cook dinner every night. I mean, it is really difficult for me to stop my work, you know, to have already planned what we were going to have for dinner, to have gone and shopped. And it's, it's literally impossible for me to do that. But if you give me a dinner party, which I can prepare for days in advance, you know, then I'm much more likely to be interested in, in doing that. Now, ADHD is highly heritable. It's as heritable as height. However, again, it may look completely different from person to person, even in the same family. My ADHD looks very different than my son's ADHD. It can also skip a generation, which means your ADHD could be inherited from a grandparent or a great aunt instead of your parents. ADHD is also, it's not like being pregnant where you either are pregnant or you're not. It's more like height or intelligence where there's a, there's varying degrees and different people are going to fall on different places on this spectrum. That means that some of us can have symptoms that are so slight that we're not really impaired by it at all. And if you're intelligent, you can hide it and you don't even know you're doing that. You know, you may have had to work harder. This is exactly why ADHD, again, is so hard to diagnose. So what qualifies as ADD or ADHD in the DSM? And the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I know, I hate that name. And it's what professionals use to diagnose mental health issues. So there are 18 symptoms to diagnose ADHD and nine are focused on inattention and nine are focused on hyperactivity and or impulsivity. That list, however, was developed for use with children. So Russell Barkley, who I've mentioned um, a couple times already, he has developed nine criteria that are specifically for adult ADHD, which I think is really useful in your decision to go further, you know, and decide if you want to have yourself evaluated. And so this is Russell Barkley's criteria. Do you often, number one, easily get distracted by extraneous stimuli or irrelevant thought? Number two, do you often make decisions impulsively? 
Do you often have difficulty stopping activities or behavior when they're engaging and of interest to you? Number four, do you often start a project or task without reading or listening to directions carefully? Number five, do you often fail to follow through on promises or commitments you make to others? Number six, do you often have trouble doing things in their proper order or sequence? Number seven, do you often drive much faster than others? Or if you don't drive um, much faster, do you have difficulty engaging in leisure activities or doing fun things quietly? Number eight, do you often have difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or recreational activities? Number nine, do you often have difficulty organizing tasks and activities? So what Barclay says is that if you've checked off four of the first seven symptoms or six of the nine, you're likely to have ADHD, so you should consult a medical professional. Now, everyone has times when they get distracted or they act impulsively or they lose things or they can't remember why they walked into the kitchen. You know, what the hell were they walking in there for, right? What you're looking for are, number one, the number of traits that you have you know, in trying to assess whether or not you might have ADHD. Number two, you're also looking for the duration that you've had them and they have to have been there for at least six months. Number three, you're looking for the intensity that you have these symptoms. How often are you distracted? How often do you find yourself working only to discover that it's now 2 a.m. and it feels like 9 p.m.? And then finally, have your symptoms impaired you? Have they impaired you in your education, in your work, in your social relationships, in your dating or marriage, in managing your money, in your driving? So the final part of trying to figure out this whole ADHD puzzle and whether or not you might have it is, did you have the symptoms of ADHD as a child? The DSM says that these symptoms must be present prior to the age of 12. Now, Russell Barkley says the symptoms need to be present prior to the age of 16. And I think that women typically see symptoms a lot later in life than, um, or girls see them a lot later in life than boys. Now, just because you were not diagnosed as a child doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. I mean, it very well could have missed, been missed. Most women were not diagnosed as children. Number two, if you're having less of a problem today with these issues than you had as a child, that also doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. Ask your parents or siblings what you were like if you can't remember. I mean, part of the problem with those of us with ADHD is we don't remember things. So ask people um, that were in your life when you were younger, what were you like? Finally, just because you were hyperactive as a child, but you're no longer hyperactive, doesn't mean you don't have ADHD. Um, a number of tests have indicated that what happens with the hyperactivity that you might have had as a child, you know, as far as hyperactivity of your body, often translates to a hyperactivity of the mind. And a lot of times, women, especially who had ADHD or see signs of it as a child, you know, meaning the hyperactivity of the body, they realize that actually now they have the inattentive form of ADHD, which is more a hyperactivity of the mind. So what do symptoms of ADHD look, in, look like in real life? And I want you to remember that every ADHD brain is wired differently. So you may be able to relate to all of these or very few of these, but these are the symptoms that I have seen in my life. 
Number one, do you have trouble getting started on things? So once I start, I usually don't have a problem at all, but getting started is very, can be very difficult for me, especially if I'm doing something I don't really want to do. Number two, do you move a lot? Are you constantly fidgeting? So when my son was diagnosed, um, actually before he was diagnosed, they thought he had a visual spatial disorder. And so we went to an occupational therapist who tested him and um, he was fidgeting all over the place. And the therapist, the occupational therapist commented on it. And then she looked at me and said, yeah, and he gets that from you. You're moving all over the place too. I didn't even realize I was constantly moving. If someone would have asked, you know, asked me, do you think you move a lot? I would have said, no, I move like everybody else moves. So, you know, one of the things about ADHD is we're often not very good at really, you know, seeing ourselves for who we are. So I had no clue. I was constantly fidgeting and moving all the time. Okay, number three, when you read, do you find that you often have to reread a paragraph or an entire page because you forget that you're reading? You know, you start reading and then suddenly you're daydreaming. Now, you know, the other thing is when I was younger, I read voraciously, but there was something about junior high that was sort of the marking point for me where I really stopped reading other than what I had to read in school. And granted, you know, when I was in law school and I was in graduate law school and even college, I mean, we're reading so much for, for school that we often stop reading for pleasure. So what I realized, though, is the only way that I could get through books was audiobooks. So I'm a huge audiobook person. And, you know, I can go through an audiobook a week easy. But if you ask me to read a book, unless it was on a subject that was really interesting to me, I could not get through it. And I will tell you right now, the book has to be nonfiction. If it's a fiction book, I have no interest. I can't get through it. Okay. So number four, you know, other symptoms. Are you chronically late no matter how much time you give? I will plan. I've got to be on time. And, and I'm never, I'm never late for work. It's in my personal life that I struggle with chronically being late. And so I will plan. I'll have everything set up and, you know, I'll start working on something and all of a sudden I lose track of time. Do you struggle to memorize most everything? That was number five. Number six, do you struggle with transitions? Stopping and starting work with a lot of girls and or young women in college, you know, the transition from, you know, they can struggle with the transition from uh, junior high to high school and high school to college. Sometimes they struggle, struggle with transitions into different jobs. But anyway, number six is, did you struggle or do you struggle with transitions? Number seven, do you have trouble? And, and the reason why we would struggle with transitions makes perfect sense. I mean, if you think of, you know, a 17 or 18 year old going off to college, not only do they have to juggle all the balls of school and making sure that, um, you know, and, and, you know, the other part of it is they are then competing, you know, they may have had straight A's in high school, but then they are competing with everybody else who had straight A's in, in high school in college. So you not only have that, but on top of that, you're then required to do all your own laundry, make sure that you go to bed on time, make sure that you get up on time, make sure that you, you know, get you eat, that you get meals every day. And then on top of that, the whole new social structures that are going on. And it's the change, you know, it's all that change. And you don't have your parents there 
helping you along like you did in high school. So struggling with transitions makes perfect sense. Do you have trouble, number seven, putting together your thoughts when you write? So it's organizing the thoughts. It's not actually writing. Number eight, do you lose track of time when you're interested in what you're doing? Meaning that you get so hyper-focused that all of a sudden you look at the clock and four hours have passed and it literally feels like 20 minutes. Are you disorganized is number nine. Number 10, are you attracted to products that help to organize you, but you still struggle with organization? like day planners and calendars and organizer apps and post-it notes and Trello and Evernote. But again, you find it difficult to use them consistently. Number 11, are you a perfectionist? Number 12, do you talk really fast and sometimes people have trouble following your train of thought? Number 13, are you always trying to change something? Whether it's in your house or it's in your job or it's the paint color on the walls or it's the placement of furniture, you like change. Number 14, do you have a hard time relaxing? Do you have a hard time literally doing nothing? Are you always working on something? Are you always moving? Are you always doing something? Number 15, are you excessively impatient? Number 16, do you procrastinate chronically when it's something you don't want to do, like bills? Number 17, do you often get excited by a new idea or project and then lose interest and not follow through? My husband always tells me that I am such a good idea person, but I definitely need someone to follow through. So we tend to be really good at the ideas. We tend to be pretty good, you know, in in the middle, and then we really fall down in the follow-up at the end. More than most, this is number 18, more than most people, do you hate waiting in line? Do you just find it to be a complete waste of time, which means you always have something with you like a phone or a book or a magazine so that you don't waste time? Number 19, are you incapable of reading directions? Yes, I am definitely allergic to directions. I just kind of get in there and I try to figure it out without them. Number 20, do you have a temper, but just as quickly as you lose it, you're totally fine again. So you walk back into the room after you've blown up and everybody's mad at you and you're like, what's the problem? I can't even remember what I was upset about. Do you have trouble, number 21, keeping secrets. When I was a kid, my nickname was the Burlingame Blab because I couldn't keep family secrets. We lived in the town of Burlingame. <laughs> Number 22, do you often forget what you're, uh, what you're going to say while you're in the middle of saying it? Number 23, do you find it really difficult to follow lists, although heaven knows you constantly try, you know, like to-do lists? Number 24, do you start working on a project and suddenly find yourself an hour later in a completely different room working on something that wasn't planned? Oh my, that is totally me. Number 25, do you have a hard time reading a book all the way through? I think we kind of talked about that. Number 26, have you been at fault in four or more car accidents? I really don't like driving because there is so much going on and I'm seeing all of it and I find it very distracting. I have to really, really pay attention and focus when I'm driving. So I prefer not to drive. If you know, if possible, I let my husband drive or a friend drive. Number 27, are you bad with money? Do you let the, ba- the bank balance your checkbook? So when my husband met me, and thank God he's a banker, I had two checking accounts. 
And what I would do is when one would get so out of hand, I've never balanced a checkbook in my life, which is horrible to admit and embarrassing, but it's true. I would let that one checkbook just go to hell. And when I couldn't figure out how much was in there or what was going on, I'd move over to the other checkbook until that first one calmed itself down. Now, number 28, are memos virtually impossible for you to read or write? You know, all the little tiny type stacked up on a memo. Number 29, do you find it difficult to keep an updated contact list? I think Christmas card lists are the bane of my existence. Number 30, or even like email lists, you know, if you have um, any kind of a, of a, a small business. Number 30, do you work best in short spurts? Number 31, do you find you often to get depressed after a success? I call this post-final depression. You know, we are so focused on the doing and getting through it. And then we get over to the other end and we're like, Ugh, was that all there is to it? Um, number 32, do you feel like you've, you're not living up to your full potential? You've never, you're just never doing enough. And you can't remember, you know, to your successes and all the things you've done. You know, you have this sense, I mean, we're high stimulation people that, you know, you have the sense that we only have one life. We have so many interests. We have so much we want to do. And, you know, our outside often doesn't match our inside. And, you know, we end up, I don't know what else to call it, but thinking, oh my gosh, I think I've got an imposter complex. You know, am I really who the world thinks that I am? Number 33, are you claustrophobic? And I don't know why that is. I, I need to find that one out, but I do know that I am claustrophobic. Number 34, is it difficult for you to pay attention when someone has trouble getting to the point? And the horrifying part of this for me is I often have trouble getting to the point. I mean, I'm talking about A and Z and F and can't get to the point. I'm boring myself. <laughs> but um, it's really bad when I have to pay attention to someone else who has trouble getting to the point. Number 35, does small talk bore you? Cocktail conversation. Number 36, are you a chronic researcher? Are you always looking for more options? Number 36 or number 37, do you find nature calming? Okay, so those are all the general or more general um, symptoms that I've seen in my life uh, with respect to my ADHD. Now, I want to talk a little bit, I'm, I'm a combined type. I want to talk a little bit about inattentive ADHD. Most women have the inattentive form of ADHD, and you think of them more as the absent-minded professor. They're really in their head, and they can't recreate their steps because they weren't in their body when they were doing what it is that they're doing. So let's say you lose your keys. You can't even recreate your steps as far as where you were and what did you do next because it's like you weren't in your body when you were walking around with your keys, you know, and for those inattentive women, your body may be slow, it may be sluggish, but your brain is still moving really quickly. And I think this is the form of ADHD that a lot of doctors miss. Teachers too. Do you tune out? Do you space out a lot and you go into your own fantasy world? So this is number 38. Number 39, more than most people, do you feel like it's really hard for you to make yourself understood? Number 40, do you have a harder time than most people tolerating frustration? Number 41, are you a big worrier? 
Do you overthink everything? Is the, are you constantly ruminating in your brain? So the hyperactivity is less about your body and it's more a hyperactivity of your brain. Number 42, were you a daydreamer in school? And then number 43, have you ever been described as needy? Now, those are all kind of more of the general symptoms. And I want, a make, I want to make a concerted effort to talk about the positive symptoms of ADHD because I think we focus too little on them. Okay, number one. Even if you're easily distracted, are there times when you're so focused it's crazy? You are totally hyper-focused and you can get so much done. Number two, are you a lifelong learner? Are you endlessly inquisitive? Number three, are you good in a crisis? Do you notice what others don't so you can make really quick decisions? Everyone else is falling apart, but you are totally in control. Number four, do you tend to approach problems intuitively? I always liken this to, you know, I kind of go through life through my intuitive braille. I'm sort of feeling my way through life and I make decisions a lot very quickly based on my intuition. Number five, do you love change? Are you always noticing and making connections um, with people and putting other people together? Number six, are you enthusiastic? ADHDers are nothing if they're not enthusiastic. They can be struggling. They can be so frustrated, but there's something about them. They're tenacious. They don't give up and they don't take no for an answer. And I have seen that time and time again with those of us who have ADHD. Okay. Number seven, are you a person of high integrity? Authenticity, I think, is another trait that I see all the time among those of us with ADHD. Number eight, do you have trouble assessing the impact you have on others? So people will give you a huge compliment and you kind of look at them and you're thinking, really, me? Are you sure? Are you sure that that's what you think of me? Number nine, are you much more effective when you're your own boss? ADHDers, we don't like to be told what to do. Number 10, are you a hard worker when it's your idea? Which is basically, you know, we don't like to be told what to do. We like to figure it out on our own. And so I have a little workaround with my son. I never tell him what to do. What I do is I try to plant the seed that whatever I want him to do, that he came up with the idea on his own. Number 11, do you know that you're a lot smarter than you've been able to demonstrate? Number 13, excuse me, number 12, are you drawn to high stimulation people, careers, and activities? You know, careers like firemen and military journalist and air traffic controller and ER doctor and EMT, police officer, public defender, chef, politician, nurse, the trades. What we need to be successful in a profession is we need to be able to move and we need variety. Number 13, are you driven? And this was a huge, a huge, um, what am I trying to say? When I figured out that this was a form of hyperactivity, it was huge for me. So the question is, are you driven? Drivenness is a form of hyperactivity. You know, I had always been so ambitious, so intense, had so much curiosity. I was a workaholic. And, you know, that's probably what people would call me. I still am. But for me, my work is fun. 
number 14, do you find you need to exercise, especially in the morning to kind of get all that excess energy out? And then when you exercise, you just focus better during the day. So John Rady has a fantastic book out on exercise. And now I can't remember what it's called, but I will include it. It's called Spark. I'll include it in the show notes. It's called Spark. And it's just a great book on how important exercise can be to the brain. They actually went into schools and they created a zero period where kids would have to come in and do some serious exercise. And what it did to their grades, their concentration, their focus, it was incredible. And I know for me personally, if I don't get up every morning and work out first thing, I cannot focus. I am all over the place. So it's really, and and it makes sense because what does exercise do? It increases the dopamine in our brains and our brains aren't making enough dopamine. That's what ADHD bottom line is. Okay, number 15, are you an entrepreneur? There is a four to six times higher likelihood that if you have ADHD, you are also an entrepreneur. And I guess it makes sense, right? I mean, if we're talking about we need variety and we need to be able to move, we love to be our own boss, we want things to be our own idea, it makes sense. Number 16, are you an idea machine? Even scientists now agree that one of our biggest strengths is ideation. Number 17, are you exceptionally intuitive? You know, there's something called interpersonal intuition. And when I read about it, that's when I really, you know, it clicked in my brain that, you know what, you have ADHD, go get yourself tested. So interpersonal intuition is this ability that we have to kind of read energy. So you can walk into a room, nobody has to say anything to you, and you have a really good sense of what's going on. Number 18, are you a maverick? Is being original really important to you? Number 19, are you more creative or imaginative than most people? Number 20, are you usually eager to try something new? Number 21, do you love to travel? Number 22, do you get the gist of things more quickly than most? You know, you don't need a big, long explanation. You can, again, you sort of read the energy, you know, you hear what you need to hear, and you're able to put things together quicker than most people. Number 23, do you laugh a lot? And this one, which I'm sure you'll love, do you look, number 24, do you look younger than your age? ADHDers, we're young at heart, and we typically look about 10 years younger than our non ADHD peers. So I know I went over a little bit. I'm trying to keep these under 30 minutes because ADHD brain, but I really wanted to give you an overview of what the symptoms of ADHD can look like for women. So if you think I've missed something, I'd love for you to let me know so I can add it. You know, in many ways, women get the brunt of the responsibilities once they become mothers. You know, they're coordinating, they're organizing, they're, you know, attending to all these administrative details. And that's often when ADD women's lives kind of go off the rails. Those two times that happens is the transition to college that first year, and then also when we become mothers. So as always, you are listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. And if you have a comment to this podcast, feel free to contact me. If you like what you're hearing, I'd love for you to drop us a review. Or if you have a guest you'd like me to interview or you have a topic idea, feel free to reach out to me at Tracy at TracyOtsuka.com. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.
You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week. Thank you.